Hello and welcome to the Neurodivergent Lives podcast, a podcast of community stories going into the lives of being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world. The podcast is hosted by myself, Bede Gagan Hart, dyslexic, ADHD. Quick disclaimer, we find that in neurodiversity, often people have a preference on the language used. In the podcast, the guest will use the language they are most comfortable and find most appropriate for their situation. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. And today we welcome Millicent. So Millicent, could you give a quick introduction to yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm currently a student at Stirling University. And I have autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and I'm self-diagnosed ADHD. That's a bit of a whirlwind going on there. So you've given us a bit of insight into your neurodiversity already, but um, where did neurodiversity start for you? It started when I was very young, as young as I can remember, really. Um, I always felt like I didn't fit in. I was not very social. I couldn't make contact in terms of physical or eye contact in terms of until I was about age seven. I just felt like I didn't belong with any of the people around me. So that was always very weird for me. But that sort of all sort of pieced together when I got diagnosed with my dyspraxia at like age five I was always walking into walls definitely any trips that sort of thing dyslexia I just couldn't read for what I just love no money nobody could teach me to read and everyone tried and it wasn't until my grandmother took me to one of these like antique sort of walk in the field sort of charity boot car boot things that she just said oh do you want one of these um books and obviously I couldn't read so my grandmother was like oh I'll just read them to you look fine and she said you know just pick whatever you want and my special interest at that time, not knowing that I was autistic yet at age 10, she was just like, you know, go ahead. And I picked up this horse book because I was obsessed with horses. Everything was horses that I could lay my eyes on. I tried to get it. And I just picked this big encyclopedia up like everything to do forces in it opened it right up and suddenly it clicked and that was the moment I like sort of understood that I could read even though there was like a barrier that I couldn't really understand what the words were doing my brain sort of somehow managed to navigate around that because I was just so passionate about the horses so 
suddenly I just decided I don't want to read kids books I am going to read all the adult books how do you um how do you find reading these days I don't like reading on screens I absolutely can't deal with that at all but I love physical books it's sort of an escape from being in the outside world for me especially because I'm not good socially it just makes me feel like I'm a bit more normal that's a it's an interesting comment and I think the the word normal um we bounce it around a lot and especially we use words like um neurotypical you know typical minded uh, or normal um, but it's definitely something that we use to alienate ourselves. And I think kind of coming back to that um, story of you as a kid feeling, you know, um, out of place and struggling with your neurodiversities. Um, when you look back on it in hindsight, how do you think this uh, idea of being normal has affected your growing up? I struggled a lot as a child. Um... Because I was so cut off from my sort of social peers, I was constantly in and out to appointments. The amount of CAMS appointments that I just sat in and I had no idea why I was there. And I was so confused. And I just... I guess now I understand it as people are trying to teach me to mask the parts of me that would be neurodiverse so that I could fit into society. And it kind of was the worst thing for me because it just made me even more depressed because I didn't understand myself and why I was the way I was. No, I, um, I, I really resonate with that. Um, I was, I was only diagnosed with my dyslexia, um, when I was a kid. So throughout secondary school, I had one-to-one -one support and, you know, the, the, the woman that supported me, she's amazing. Um, and helped me get through GCSE, uh, English. I would have probably failed without her, but I did feel like I was there to fix myself. Um, and especially with something like, you know, therapy and, um, looking into our mental health, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that we are kind of being forced to not accept ourselves and be something that we're not trying to be this normal. Yeah, I, I really struggled, um, coming into high school was probably the most brutal thing. Uh, I just... Especially with like, when I came into like studies, subjects that I enjoyed, I was brilliant at and I excelled. But as soon as I hit a brick wall with maths, was the worst one for me. The teacher decided he didn't want to teach me because I was too much effort. 
to put all the time into it. So I essentially, the only reason I passed maths was I had the brilliant help of my autistic support from the council that came in weekly. And I scraped a passing grade. And that's probably the reason why I'm still not good at maths today, because he didn't spend the time with me to reword it. Like, when I was doing the maths, it wasn't that I was not understanding it or not trying or not picking it up. It was the wording. And I always found a lot of the problems I was experiencing with the wording of the questions that they were asking. So as soon as someone came in and said, oh, I'll just reword how I ask it, suddenly I'd be like, oh, you just want me to do this and I'll be doing like two minutes later. Yeah, no, I um, I think we, you know, looking at the name neurodiversity, it's, it's not that we are better or worse, it's purely that we're different. And education is so very much designed for one brain way of thinking, right? Um, and a, I've had some amazing teachers and the best ones always being able to um, teach you something in four different uh, analogies. So ask, like giving you the idea in four different ways, but also in like different mediums, whether it's, you know, drawing it, writing it, um, talking through it. Um, and I found that immensely helpful in terms of my journey. Um, so being being aware that you're still in education now, studying at um, university, how do you find that your neurodiversities has sort of um, created this path throughout education? Like, how do you think it's directed you? I pretty much followed my special interest. Um, I I was addicted to David Attenborough during when I was picking out what degree I was going to do. National Geographic, fascinated by anything, nature, natural hazards, absolutely bring me joy to watch a documentary on anything to do with the natural world. So that's how I ended up picking environmental science. And it was a bit of a shock coming into university because although I adapted very well, the practical stuff just became my worst nightmare. I just very stressed about practical stuff. And for the best example I can think of is we recently did a module, which is on the computers and it's called it's a geospatial module, so basically you make maps using a software. But the software they picked is not the industry standard. It's very old type of software. And the resources they've given me were perhaps the worst thing they could have done like absolutely no resources they because i was like i just had a surgery so i had to stay home to recover 
and I was asking for support because I knew my neurodiversity side of me was like um so the resources you've given me is not working with the assignment you've given me and I've been on YouTube and I've looked in Google and I've done all this but I don't understand and I'm trying to explain to them my neurodiversity is not clicking with the tiny amount of information they've given me and they just basically said it's not our problem and I ended up failing all three assignments in that module because they basically ghosted me and I even remember mid-November they emailed me after I begged them for help and they basically just emailed me saying we fully expect you to fail so I was just completely broken by that point and it just led to me having autistic burnout yeah I I I'm really sorry to hear about that um it sounds really difficult and I think you've kind of you know um presented perfectly I know is a big issue in in the UK at the moment in terms of like support whether it's uh, in a working environment or in education but support seems to just be dwindling sometimes um and I saw a an Instagram post the other day where someone said they didn't have a problem with um, people self-diagnosing because you don't get any support when you are diagnosed. Um, and, you know, it's it's really difficult um, getting people to understand that there are so many things on a daily basis that take away from our cup of energy before we have to do what everyone else has to do, just because the way things are structured. Um, and I think in terms of what you've spoken about, it so often are we seen as the naggy ones or the annoying ones always requesting something and asking something for different, something different. Um, and it's not easy to ask for help, is it? Um, so kind of looking into those barriers that you're facing, um, what are some of the, the big barriers you face on a daily basis? The biggest barriers? Um planning if i don't write it down it's not getting done i leave post-it notes it's on notion if you know what i mean um it's on my phone calendar sometimes i'll actually ask someone to text me to remind me to do something um there's things like if I have to go out to, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm going out to study in the library. I forget my charger, even though my phone is full. My brain will then automatically think I can't work. Like, that's it. I can't work now because what if I'm out? For so long because if I get in a productive state I could be out for easily six seven hours then 
what do I do if my phone battery dies? And that's just like a worst nightmare for me. That's um, it's interesting. You've you've kind of gone into that. Your, I'm guessing, is basically your own anxiety of the the issues that could come up is a barrier in itself. Yeah, but then so. there's like there's all sorts of the things about going out that other people just don't see. Like, if it's if I know it's going to be busy, and I want to focus. I've told someone I'm going to meet them in a cafe to get to that cafe to focus on getting there I have to wear headphones I cannot be on a busy street without headphones but as soon as I get to being with the person I can be relatively okay um, I can I can focus on that but if I'm on my own headphones back on immediately which is probably why I've got like three different sets of headphones right now like I've got another pair of the same headphones I'm wearing now and I've got a pair of Bose ones that just sit on my desk so they almost live with me yeah I'm uh I'm 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 seeing a classic ADHD trait here in terms of uh you know fear of not having an item or forgetting or losing an item so having backups or backup systems and I, I work in aviation and you know the whole aircraft is full of backup redundancies um so you've got three sets of headphones what else do you really rely on as a backup in your day uh so i keep one well that's what i ended up doing as a result of one of my uh, anxieties coming to fruition is that I realised that I needed to get a phone charger with a USB stick um, well, the USB ending because the iPhone one didn't plug into the outlet at one of the places I went to and I was like, what do I do now? Like um okay like I've I was like two and a half hours away from home and I had 10% on my battery and I was thinking oh my god like you know I need my phone for my train ticket and all the things that were just coming together with how busy the train station was and having to check for the board what time it was and then if my phone ran out I wouldn't have music and I was like so stressed by that and even the tiniest of travel delays can just cause immense stress yeah I um I always try to pick a journey with the least number of changes because <laughs> The idea of a change is like I could miss the next one, which would mean I miss the next one, which misses the next one. And then your brain is just going down a spiral. Um, but you made me think of something interesting, which is a lot of the time, uh, at the moment we get this kind of like, oh, ADHD is trendy or being neurodivergent is a fad. Like this sort of, you know, just because lots of people are being diagnosed or realizing um, and self-diagnosing, that it seems like it's this trend but whereas i think 
one of the the sort of popular beliefs is that obviously it's it's existed in so many people for so many years um but we just have never realized so i guess where i'm going is like do you think that in some ways living in the past with a lot less complexity so if it's a train ticket you wouldn't have been able to have it on a phone it was just a piece of paper that you had to keep you know do 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 you find that maybe some of the complexities of the way we live now is actually far more difficult on your neurodiversity? Sometimes it depends what it is. Um, there's I don't know if you've heard of it, but this a thing called the Young Scott card, and this is where this gets interesting. Is that I once left my Young Scott card, which allows me to get free bus travel and because I often use it to come to and from I lost it once and I had to go a week without it and it cost me about £100 in like bus tickets because I was commuting and I was thinking oh my god like how much is this costing me and I was just realising you know, you've just got to be aware of this one singular item <laughs> that has so much power over your life. But I suppose that's where I quite enjoy having the phone tickets for like on the train to just scan because I'm not at risk of not picking up my phone. Yeah, no, so it's it's actually that although we have more complexity there are also more simple solutions that this phone obviously that we all have in our pockets um or those that are fortunate fortunate enough to have one we can use it for so many things and also I, it's got so many accessibility uh, bits and bobs on it which i think i find useful on a daily basis um so kind of um looking looking towards like moving forward um and where you are now how do you feel in sort of in yourself and in your neurodivergent journey? So I'm quite confident now. Um, I've actually just started freelance writing for the Dyspraxia Foundation. So I'm trying to do a bit in between that, but I'm also kind of in the ultimate kind of procrastination stage of my life because I have my job uh, is contract is sort of currently ending which means i'm trying to apply to a new job but at the same time my brain's like mm, you know i'll just put this in your way um and i've just gotten some sort of emails back for interviews next week and i was just like that was another reason for me to procrastinate the extra other job applications that I've got because I hate interviews. They're just sort of causing me to panic and they sort of cause me to freeze up very quickly. And it's, it's not that I'm incapable of doing interviews. I'm, I'm okay, but if if the hiring manager asks me a question and 
I start to answer to it, and then my brain starts to tell me, well, this doesn't sound right, then I will freeze up, and then it can often cause me to sound a bit unprepared. Yeah, um, it's that classic of like, you know, they're, they're very typical neurodivergent traits, but people perceive them in the normal version of being, oh, they're they're shy or they're unprepared or they're rude or whatever it is. It's like, no, my blunt to the point response was purely that's because what you've, you've asked me that question and I've answered it in the simplest way possible. <laughs> well, I sort of, when I try to explain to people how interviews make me feel sometimes, is that I'll explain it to using like, if you've ever seen the overthinking meme where they're sat in the church and you can just see them behind each other that is what goes through my head every single time so like it's almost like the multiple different parts of my neurodiversity is disagreeing with each other yeah yeah it's uh when you've got such a cocktail of different neurodiversities in one space, often they fight each other. <laughs> and I guess we've, we've found that from the beginning of your story with, you know, your, um, your special interest, absolutely overriding your um, dyslexia and not wanting to read and it just going, no, I'm going to read. I'm interested in horses. Well, um, thank you very much for coming on today and telling your story, Millicent. It was, um, a very added uh, perspective and an interesting story. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, please do remember that if you would like to be part of the story and record your own episode on the podcast, then go to the link in our socials and you can book a meeting to record with us and hopefully feature on the podcast too. Have a nice day.